So let's respond to the word that Jackie has shared with us using these responses, which talk about the type of community that we seek to be. We are called to be a worshipping community, offering all to God in prayer. We are called to be a missionary community, making known the redeeming love of God. We are called to be a sacrificial community, generously given from all God has given us. We are called to be an inclusive community, sharing the hospitality of God's kingdom with all. We are called to be a prophetic community, challenging powers that oppress and corrupt. As a gospel people, let us covenant together before God and each other. Amen. So let's just pause and be still for a moment as we prepare to think about the message from 2 Corinthians together. And I'll just pause and pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the life it breathes into our lives. We thank you for the revelation of your character and purpose uh, which we receive through it. So I pray now, Lord, um, send your Holy Spirit and breathe life into the words I'll share so that our hearts and minds may be transformed into the likeness of your Son, in whose name we pray. Amen. So happy Mother's Day um, to mothers in the room or those who exercise maternal care of others. You know, because there are so many types of people who mother in this world. Obviously, uh, mothers of their own children, um, but also those who adopt and foster, those who teach, um, and those who also do what we're doing in young church at the moment, who disciple our children. And that's a form, I think, of maternal care and discipleship. So, happy Mother's Day. And for the second year running, I want to share with you that I've remembered not only my wedding anniversary, not only my wife's birthday, but I've also remembered that for the second time, it's Mothering Sunday, and I've even planned ahead. So I feel pretty accomplished. Now, the men are thinking, great, well done. The women are thinking, well, you should. <laughs> There's pop psychology for you. There we are. Um, and, and, you know, it's, I don't have the perspective of, of being a mother, but I know that becoming a dad has quite dramatically affected my sense of identity. Um, Izzy, my daughter, is never far from my thoughts, is never far from uh, my mind. And in words not taken from scripture, my life is no longer my own, it is now Isabel's. <laughs> and I'm sure many parents around the room can identify with that. But seriously, parenthood is, is, a, is no job. It's, it's not something that we can walk away from or not something that we can walk away from without the most tragic of circumstances befalling us. It's fundamentally a state of being where we're constantly mindful of the children who we have care and responsibility and fundamentally love of. And it's a responsibility that I as a dad chose freely to enter into 
and it's one which, you know, gladly now defines my very being. Many Christians around the world um, will look on Mothering Sunday at the example of Mary, Jesus' mother, and they'll look at the love that Mary showed her son, how on hearing the news that Jesus was to be born, we read those famous words in the Magnificat in, in Luke's Gospel, my soul glorifies the Lord, my spirit exalts in God my Saviour. Words of praise that we've normalised through reading them as scripture and through um, using them as part of services, but were actually spontaneous praise on Mary's part of the revelation of the angel to her that she would give birth to this son, Jesus. And then uh, Mary's journey as a mother continuing as she took Jesus into the temple, as was the Jewish custom, and presented Jesus to Anna and Simeon. And Anna and Simeon give Mary that prophecy, um, which filled Mary, who would have been full of aspiration for her son's life, with trepidation and wondering what the future held when um, Simeon said, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. And then the abject pain of Mary as she watched her son on the cross. And the birth of Christ, of course, didn't come as a result of a sexual union between Mary and Joseph. The pregnancy didn't come about in the way that you and I might have had children. But Mary was chosen to bear Jesus by God. And we read about that in the first chapter of Luke's Gospel, where we hear these words from the angel. Do not be afraid, Mary. For you have found favour with God, and now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. Words that we're more um, accustomed to hear and possibly at Christmas time. But Mary was joyful at a new role as the bearer of Jesus. But she hadn't done that which, as I say, usually led to pregnancy. The role was conferred on her. She became Jesus' mother, not because of anything she did, but because of God's grace. And that is the truth, the reality that lies at the heart of this series called Foundations of Discipleship, which concludes next weekend and has walked us through Lent. Um, the things that we usually think about to do with discipleship, like reading a scripture where we receive a revelation of God's plan and purpose for creation. Things like prayer, where we invite the intervention of God in our lives and in the life of the world. Things like where we use our time and our money as, as resources and as ways in which we practice servanthood and hospitality and putting others first. Being part of the fellowship of the church where we encourage one another in our walk with Jesus and we reveal God's loving kindness. These are all spiritual disciplines to be sure, things that we need in our toolkit if we're going to grow as Christian disciples. But underpinning all of those things is a deeper revelation um, reading the scriptures, praying, coming to church, tithing, all these things make us better disciples. But faith is not transactional. We can't say, you know, because I do this, therefore I am. We are because of what God has done 
and we've been saying this throughout this series, that there is a fundamental state of our being which is about God's action towards us and not any merit or action of our own. So in 1 Corinthians, uh, we read these words. To one there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom, to another the message of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in various tongues, and to still another the interpretation of tongues. These are what we call gifts of the Spirit, and if you want to explore these more fully, Matt, John, and Chris and the team are going to be thinking about the spiritual gifts at Encounter this evening. But in that passage from 1 Corinthians, we hear explicitly it stated that faith is a gift received by the Spirit of God, not as the result of something we do or something we work at. Mary became the bearer of Jesus because God appointed her to be the mother of Jesus. So what of us and our lives? Well, Paul makes it clear for us in Ephesians chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And then this verse is critical. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in his presence. In love, he predestined us for adoption as his sons through Jesus Christ, according to the good pleasure of his will. God chose you before you existed. In fact, just to build that a bit more, God chose you before those who conceived you or conceived them even existed. Before the foundation of the world, our creator God had in mind the whole span of your life and days and what you would do to his glory within them. And that's such a critical contrast, isn't it, between the way our creator father God works and the way that we work in the world, in society, on our front lines, where, you know, to achieve success We need to have certain experience or knowledge. We need to engage with the right people, have the right connections, um, and have those experiences which line us up for success. But Jesus says, you know, before the world was created, I chose you. I meant you to be mine. We can be Christian disciples, not because of anything that we've done, but we can know the freedom that God chose us and called us to be his disciples. So let's turn to our passage, which Jackie read to us from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. The passage is one of the clearest descriptions in in the New Testament of what it is to be a Christian disciple. And in the course of this passage this morning, the word reconciliation or reconciling is used five times. So there's a significance to that word there which we need to call out and explore together. When you're reconciled, you cease to be at odds with something. Let me just say it again. When you're reconciled, you cease to be at odds with something. When, when, when you're not reconciled, 
you know, you're often um, not necessarily even in opposition, but you don't stand in, in agreement with, with an ideology or a relationship. So when you're reconciled, you cease to be at odds with whoever you're being reconciled with. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, there is such a clear description of what it is to be a Christian disciple. It recognizes and calls out that because of sin, people are lost, broken, alienated, homeless, estranged from God. But because of Jesus, we are reconciled to God fully. We are one with God. So as we heard from Ephesians, God chose us and predestined us not to, to be his And then when sin got in the way of that relationship and cut us off from God, our state of being changed, but Jesus reconciled us on the cross to that state of being where we are one. I was um, given a Lent book this year by um, Justin Welby called Dethroning Mammon. Um, And mammon isn't a sort of word that we come across regularly in our modern-day translations of the Bible. Um, But if we turn to the King James Version, and wish me luck as I I read this, um, we're going to discover its use. Um, And mammon is is a word that is used to describe uh, material wealth. So, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart be also. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve both God and mammon. And in that book, which is a great book to read, I commend it to you if you haven't read it, um, Archbishop Justin Welby uh, remarks that what we receive, the things that we're given, we treat as ours. Um, You know, so um, our personal property, we treat as ours, as something we own. Our homes we treat as ours. Nothing wrong with this, it's just a recognition that what we receive, we treat as ours. But the observation is also made that in society, power flows to a large degree from money, and money is easy to acquire when one has power. I don't have that problem. Um, But the Christian is to realise that at the heart of discipleship, is the knowledge that all we have is gift. All we have is given to us. And our task as Christian disciples is to live that out, to embody that knowledge that we receive faith, not as something we work or graph for or earn or transact, but something which we receive as gift. In verse 11 of 2 Corinthians 5, um, the passage that we heard starts with the words, therefore knowing the fear of the Lord. I've seen um, speakers avoid talking about the fear of the Lord before, um, and I've seen other speakers do it very well. Um, 
And, and the ironic thing is there's nothing to fear about the fear of the Lord, um, to, put it, to put it succinctly. In our world, we use the term fear to describe something which we're to be frightened of or scared of or anxious of. The Bible has a different use of the word fear. And it's got nothing to do with making us afraid or frightening us. There's nothing within the character of God which seeks to frighten us. In the Bible, fear is used consistently to be that time when for God's greatness and his glory and his majesty, we are to be in awe or reverence or respect of God. And so as we look at the blessings that God has given us in our lives, which we receive by God as gift, as we look at the giftedness that we have given to us by the Father of all lights, we can be grateful, we can fear the Lord for his majesty. We can fear the Lord who has done all these things in our lives and the life of those around us. We can fear the Lord so two quick things as I draw to a close. Firstly, we have all got faith. The question is, in what? So that's my question to you as I draw to a close. We all have faith, you will have faith, but what is your faith in? It's a good spiritual health check, really. You might think, well, you know, I'm in church. My faith is in Jesus. You know, I've been walking with the Lord for years and years. My faith is in Christ. But just for the sake of um, checking, let me ask you, are you sure? I remember being on retreat at Lee Abbey one year and um, the speaker there, who uh, was from a large church in Cheltenham, uh, was, was speaking really well. And, and he challenged us one morning um, to show him our bank statements I think I've shared this story before. Um, he challenged us to sh show him our bank statements. And he said, if you show me your bank statements, I'll very quickly tell you where you are with the Lord. And it's a bit of a piffy um, challenge in a way, but it's also a very real challenge in another. Where is your faith? Is it in celebrity? Is it in sports? Is it in music? Or is it really genuinely in Jesus? And the good thing is, if you look into your lives in a way that only you know and can, and you discover or you start to suspect that your faith actually isn't focused on Jesus Christ, then know the assurance that faith is gift. We can receive gift. We don't have to strive to get that back. We just have to do what Mary did and say, yes, Lord. And the second thing is, whilst all that we have is given to us as gift, and this gift of faith given by God forms our state of being, we have a response. You know, when you give some a present, they're more than likely to accept it because either they'll be overjoyed that you're giving them a present, or, you know, common courtesy demands that we accept it anyway and we say thank you very much. But in the most uncommon of circumstances, people will choose not to accept a gift. God gives us the gift of faith. It's his gift to us. It's nothing from our own action. 
But this morning we are invited to respond to that gracious gift by by agreeing with God to partner with him, to allow his spirit to be at work in us and through us, to cooperate with his work in our lives so that we might be, um, as Ian reminded us at the 9.30 a.m. service, ambassadors for Christ in the world. We might be people um, who are appointed to go out and reveal Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that um, this day there'll be many gifts given to mothers. Um, There'll be many breakfasts in bed. There'll be many flowers and cards and chocolates and wine. And we thank you that those gifts are given and received as love and kindness. Father, help those gifts this day be prompts to consider your gifts to us, your loving kindness poured out in in our lives. And help us to graciously accept and delight in the gift of faith which you so freely pour into our lives. Just as Mary responded in praise, help us to respond in praise at your work in our own lives. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.